This is episode number 329, How to Deal with Societal Expectations, with Joshua Eden. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming three-day experience in Austin, Texas on October 7th called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. What this is is a three-day experience where you will get a chance to hear stories from speakers from all over the world as well as be a part of breakout sessions that are intended to help you identify your fears and turn them into strengths. If you'd like to know more details regarding this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. So first of all, thank you for taking the time to connect, to share the space with me. I came across your post that was um, very relevant to my life and everything that I've experienced. So I'm 29 years old, full disclosure. And when I read your post, and I'll read it again for anyone that hasn't had the chance or won't have the chance to uh, read this themselves, and I'll make sure we include the link. And it's the post where you have said, I turned 33 yesterday, and I don't own a house, make six figures, have a child, have clear skin, have a six-pack or any sort of pack, totally know what I'm doing with my life, and I'm still happy. Happy that trauma I have silenced, been enduring for 19 years, has finally come to the surface for me to work on. Happy to have friends and family that have stuck around me while I work on myself and didn't have much I could give to them. Most importantly, and I'm happy that I'm learning to slowly let go of the idea that my value and worth are only tied to my usefulness to others. I don't even know where to begin describing it because I feel very connected to it. I could probably check off every single one of the things that you listed as far as don't have ownership of and still have profound admiration for who I am, day-to-day curiosity. And there's beauty in that. For me, there's tremendous beauty in that and being able to sit here at 29 not have similar things that you have, but still choosing to be happy. And ultimately, I think what I'm learning through this journey, and I'm really curious to hear, A, how you even got to that point in your life where you could form a post like that to begin with. But realizing that it really, it's as simple and as complex as a choice. Hmm. Yeah. Um, 
so just just some background. Um, I I uh, am a lifelong fan of, of therapy. I've I've done therapy on and off as needed since um, I was about fifteen years old. Um, obviously, like my post said, I'm I'm recently thirty three. So um, you know, eighteen years of eighteen years of therapy, not necessarily continuous. Like I said, on and off. Um, back in um, September of two thousand and one. Um, everything just felt good in my life for the most part. Um, I was like looking for a new job, uh, but, but relatively speaking, everything, everything in my life seemed very okay. Um, and sometimes I, I think, uh, that's maybe the best time to pick up therapy when everything <laughs> does seem okay. Like, you Too know, good to be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like when stuff hits the fan is when a lot of people like to go to therapy, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's very okay and very good because you're you're getting there. I've also found value in my life uh, when things are going well to be like, hey, you know what? I just things seem good. I, there's always kind of room to improve. I'm just gonna I'm gonna just go to therapy and just start talking through stuff and see if there's anything that's kind of going on under the surface, right? So um, went to therapy, uh, met my met my therapist, his name's Dan Koch, um, great guy. And uh, in, in conversation with him as we just kind of began to unpack um, just like how COVID has, has impacted me. Um, I, I, I got married right before COVID. So it was like, got married, like got meningitis, was in the hospital for a little bit, COVID hit, my, my spouse and I, Sarah, she, we moved up from Albuquerque, New Mexico to, to Washington, um, Vancouver, Washington, um, just kind of had a lot of things happen in, in the span of uh, two years, you know, and I figured, yeah, it'd be a good chance to kind of unpack just where I'm at and see what's going on. And as I began to do therapy with, with Dan in our sessions, um, some, some trauma uh, that I didn't realize was there, uh, was discovered. Um, Dan, there's a criteria that you, um, like a, a test that you can take to see if you meet the criteria to be formally diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. Um, so I, I, I took the, the, I took the test and I met the criteria, like every single question that, that you ask, I ticked the box for like, yep, you have it. Um, so it, it, in October, um, we started just meeting weekly and um, kind of dug into the trauma um, that, that I had experienced just for, for even further context. When I was um, about 14 years old, my best friend killed himself. Um, uh, no one knew anything was wrong. Um, there was no note. Uh, there was just no information whatsoever. Um, and that, that impacted me uh, very deeply. And then um, within a few years of that, I had uh, multiple deaths. Um, also suicides uh, of people in my family. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm already at this point, right? I'm, I'm, I'm young, uh, don't really know how to, how to process any of this, brain's not fully formed, and then more deaths just like com compounded on top of that, right? So um, I thought I was good. I, I thought I'd really worked through those things. The PTS, uh, the criteria <laughs> tells you, tells me otherwise. So I, I, I hunker down and, and, and start doing the work. And um, you know, um, to what, one of the questions that you asked earlier, um, you know, you know, just like, what did you do? I, I, I opened myself up to my friends and my family, uh, Dan raised a great point that even though we were doing therapy weekly, um, we're just meeting for one hour out of 
the one day a week and and something that's important in, in doing all of this work is like opening yourself up to people that you you care about that that you love that you trust and just like sharing where um you are with them and 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 so i i i thankfully i have a, a really good support structure so i went to um some friends i went to my family um and just told them where i was and 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 what i was feeling and um let them know that like hey there's probably going to be some some days where i'm like less available emotionally um and that was uh particularly hard for my spouse um for sarah um who who battles um depression and so she was also seeing doing therapy with someone else and so she kind of took a page from my book and also shared with her therapist and it's like this is going on in my marriage right and she's sharing with her family and her friends um that she needs support right and and i wish that there was a good way to to kind of visually demonstrate this. Um, but I think uh, a way that I think about it that that kind of helps me is imagine if you're standing up and um, there's someone standing behind you and they have one hand on your back. Well, if you lean back and let your body weight kind of go, well, that one person with their one hand um, isn't really going to be able to support you. Um, but if you have multiple hands on your back and you drop your weight, uh those multiple hands are going to those mul that that like group of people that have hands on you are going to be able to support you um so i reached out to many people um to get hands on my back as as i began like working through um trauma and and, and reliving um what was a, a dark honestly decade um in in my life um in full transparency um it, it it's funny. I know the the post got like a lot of responses, and, and something that I'm I'm always kind of uh, quick to point out is I don't know that I'm all the way through the trauma yet. I I, I still think I'm I'm working on that, and um, I'm definitely further than I was, you know, six months ago, seven months ago. Um, but when I had posted it, I I I got just a glimpse of you know what's on the other side of 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 this trauma. Um, what's on the other side of some of the core beliefs that I've held for a long time. Um, you know, some of those core beliefs being that like, I don't deserve good things or I'm not, uh, I'm not a good friend or other people don't have room for my needs. Um, one of the biggest core beliefs that I had um, and am working through still is that my worth is my usefulness to others. Um, so recently, I, I feel like I just got like a glimpse of like, what does life look like on the other side of this? Like, because there's people out there that don't have those core beliefs for whatever reason. Um, but I got like a glimpse of like what it what it looked like to just believe and know that I have value that that I have like insurmountable worth. That's not just tied to to what my job title is or or what I'm doing for my spouse or you know, am I being the greatest son in the world? Am I being the best brother in the world? Like, um, I think it's really easy to look at those things and, and ask those kind of questions and then tie our value and our worth only to those things. When in reality, there's there's lots of other things that, that make us um, valuable, right? I think just existing, being human beings that, that, that choose to show up um, each and every day is, is what gives us value. I think as part of it, it, there's a couple of things that you said that really resonate with me. So first is 
as long as I could remember, I've always been focused on achievement. Yeah. Ever since I was a little kid, I was very much focused on how do I achieve this? How do I get the next trophy? All these things. And I realized yeah. that even though there was value in all those things to begin with, moving forward, that doesn't have to be the only thing. And I'll, yeah. share, I'll share with you a story that's happening right now. So seven to eight, maybe nine months ago, I chose to take a trip around the world and I traveled all on my own through Europe. I lived in Ghana for a month and a half. And then I lived in Ecuador and Peru for about two months. And then afterwards I came back, I came back to the States and trying to figure out kind of what is this next chapter of my life. And part of the transition involves being able to stay at my parents' place. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm at my parents' place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I kid you not, the because it's new, because I've lived on my own for the past seven, six to seven years, it's a, it's a new experience. And for anyone that's aware, it comes with a lot of stigmas, right? I'm 29 years old. And even though I could afford a place on my own and I could be on my own, there is still a societal narrative that I have to reframe and make the best out of. And that societal narrative is, okay, you're about to be 30. You're living at your parents. What's wrong? How can I help? When the reality of the matter is nothing's wrong. I'm just simply waiting for the time to, for how, well, the reality is for houses to be available for the current, whoever people are living there to give up or end their lease so that way we can move into a new one. But I'm finding that very interesting and related to what you were talking about. And that's a lot of it really boils down to A, assessing what is that narrative? What's the story that I'm telling myself Mm. around it? And B, getting comfortable with the fact that it might be different. Yeah. Period. It might be a different narrative than someone else who experienced X, Y, and Z at 29 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. So I'm realizing that, and I don't know if you've experienced this when you even put out your story, how much of a fear there actually is in living my own story mm-hmm. in being my own self. Because every single day I'm having to accept a slightly different version of who I am. Just yeah. due to the new information and circumstances. And that's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I I um I I very much so understand the idea of like just not just the societal pressures that, that I think are are very obviously there and they're shoved in front of us, right? Like on, on any social media or, or television or, or whatever. Um, and then there's, there's this like separate set of expectations that I think we also tend to put on ourselves. Yeah. They're maybe even independent of, um, I was, I was talking to someone the other day and, and the way that I, the best way that I could describe, you know, just kind of where I was, was, um, I just found over the last few months that like, living with the expectations that I had for myself was burning me out and, and truly like wearing me down more quickly than I could get back up. Um, it was just this, this constant pushing down. Right. And every time I'd like, I'd like try to get up, like the expectations of like, I need to be making more than six figures. I should have a house. I should have all these things. Like, um, was really hard. Something that I, I, I've really tried to, to lean into. Cause I think we live with a lot of expectations um, 
I've really tried over the last like six months um, to instead of having expectations to lean into having um, or to, to being expectant. Mm. Um, and I like to think of it as um, expect having expectancy versus um, expectations. And, and the way that I differentiate those two in my head um, is expectations kind of say like, this is what my life is supposed to look like. And if it, and if it doesn't look like this, then I have failed. Um, so when you live with expectations, if you're not meeting those expectations and, and, and things don't look the way that you expect them to, you're yeah. always, you're always failing, right? You're always like, you're always going to fall short because how often do the things, yeah. How often do things even, even if you have like healthy expectations, how often do your, how often do those healthy expectations even come to fruition or look the way that you thought they were, they were going to, right? Instead, I've been trying to live um, from a place of expectancy, which is in my mind saying like, man, I don't, I don't totally know what's best for me. I think I know what's best for me, but I don't totally know what's best for me. Um, Rather than having expectations, I'm, I'm just going to be grateful and work with whatever does come my way. I don't know what's going to come my way, but whatever does come my way, whatever, whatever tools I'm given, whatever happens, like I still get to choose how I respond to that. And I'm, I'm going to live from this place of expectancy where just whatever comes like my hands and my heart are open. And I know that I can work from that place rather than just always having expectations that aren't going to be met. And, and, and living from that place, at least for me, um, has been incredibly helpful. I won't say it's easy because I don't <laughs> think it is because you're, you're kind of saying, like, I don't, I'm just, I'm opening my hands and I'm, I'm, I'm releasing the idea of having expectations, whatever, whatever is going to come is what's going to come. And I'm not going to try to control things. I'm not going to try to force things. I'm, I'm letting go and just embracing the world as this crazy, messy thing. And I'm embracing, embracing people as, as, as messy and imperfect things. And the reality is both people and the world are messy (laughs) and, and they don't always work and look and do things the way that we expect. Um, but we like the idea that we, uh, have more control that we actually, than we actually do. And I think that's why it's, it's out of the idea that we have more control than we, than we do that I think expectations are formed. And so when you, when you kind of shift and start practicing living with expectancy and letting go of that control, um, and just taking in whatever comes and working from there, um, I think it, I think it, at least for me, it did help me let go of those expectations of like, I have to be making six figures. I have to have a house, even if it's like a terrible one bed, one bath, like I, I could just start to let go of those things. I could be happy for where my friends are who are, you know, yeah, achieving more than me or whatever, right? Like I do have friends that make a lot more money than, than I do and, and have, you know, a nicer car or, um, a better, a better house. I'm in an apartment. So they have a house. I don't even have a house. Um, <laughs> living with expectancy yeah. has let me just also be so happy for them without being resentful, without feeling, without feeling jealous, because it's, it's just understanding that it's like, man, that's their journey and that's okay. And it's, it's not my journey. My journey's different and I might not have what they have, but it doesn't make my journey any less beautiful than theirs. 
That's a really interesting point because what I have learned and seen from a variety of people is whenever they get to situations like that, where their friends are living drastically different lifestyles, is that the first tendency that I've learned people do is actually change the friend groups instead yeah. of embracing the friends for who they are and what they're wanting to do. And what you did is complete opposite to what I've seen yeah. before. You literally sounds like you just embrace them for the fact that they're different. They have different desires and they dream differently and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. And, and, and I think it, it is an interesting thought because I know that that's true um, for a lot of people that, yeah, to your point, like a lot, a lot of times people will like, all of a sudden start making more money and they'll start hanging out with like people like maybe yeah, they like maybe they purposely shift their yeah. focus and change the friend groups because of the differences. Totally. Um, and, and I think it's, and again, relationships, right? You're, I, I like to say that you're 100% responsible for 50% of the relationships. So, and, and on my end of things, right? Like my friend, I think of one of my absolute best friends makes, makes double what I make, like is, is just out there killing it in the, in the professional world, just doing, just living his best life. And, and I am so excited for him. And I'm so happy that like all the work that he has put in is, is like paying off and the decisions that he and his spouse have made and the sacrifices that they've made have like gotten them to where they are. And I'm not, I'm not like resentful. I'm not, I'm not jealous of him. He's, he's a little bit younger than me. Uh -huh. I'm just genuinely so excited for him. And, and now it is true that like he's spending more time with people like that are like and closer to his pay scale and I'm like his poor friend or whatever. Um, but like we're still best friends and we talk every day because I think he also recognizes that I don't just see him as like I, in like competition and I'm not comparing myself to him. I just love him as a person and as a human. And whether he makes less than me, whether he makes more than me, whether we make exactly the same, it just doesn't change like his value to me, right? And it doesn't change the narrative of our friendship. And so I think that's probably why even our relationship hasn't changed from his perspective is because he could make 10 times more than I do. Yeah. And that's fine. I will just be his biggest cheerleader because he's my friend and I care about him. And my story is going to look how it's going to look. And I'll just be grateful for what does, what does come my way, whatever that looks like. Maybe one day we'll make the same amount of money. Maybe not. It just doesn't change the fact for me that he is like this wonderful human who has helped me through incredible moments of my life, like very hard moments of my life that, that, that has supported me, right? Um, he'll just always be one of my best friends because of that, period. I'm curious. And once again, if you don't want to, if you feel yeah. it's too personal or if I'm going down the rabbit hole that you want to, you don't want to follow me on, please you know, stop me there. But I'm curious because in having experienced different forms of loss throughout my life, I realized that there is some, don't get me wrong, loss, it, it's hard on many different levels mm -hmm. in many different shapes. But one of the beauties that I've come to realize that loss presents is an opportunity to shift one's perspective and actually mm -hmm. get to the truth of the matter, so to speak. In having lived what you've lived, what you shared at the beginning of all this yeah. suicide and things like that, did that have a role in you developing this perspective around life? Yeah, no, I, I for sure think so. Um, I, 
I, after, after my, my friend passed away, um, initially, I think, um, I was 14. I didn't know how to mourn. I didn't know how to grieve. I like what 14 year old does, you know what I mean? Um, I, I felt this enormous pressure, I think to like, because I was his best friend, you know, I spoke at his, his funeral service. He was a couple of years older than me. Like I felt this like responsibility that like, I had to be okay. I had to be like a pillar for everybody else that was separating. Like mm-hmm. I knew him the best. Like I have to be strong for everybody else. And honestly, that doesn't, that, that didn't work. Right. And like it, it, that compounded with, <laughs> Um, all of the other like deaths that I experienced and like rapid succession after I felt like I have to be the pillar for my family. I have to be the strong mm. person for my family. And I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I did that well for 13 years. I, I like, I barely did that for like 13 years. I barely made it, you know, 13 years. Um, I, at one point I just felt like overwhelmingly suicidal because I, I just, there was something deeply wrong inside of me um and I just didn't know what it was right and and obviously a lot of that has like started to come out in the work that I started to do over the last um few months honestly um to to your point I I think like I think my innate desire to like help people feel hope was probably born out of the fact that like I felt so hopeless for so long um in the last, uh, even though like my like PTSD, like formal, like diagnosis criteria being met was within the last year, I, I, I really started to unpack some of these deaths in the last, like, um, probably like four years, five-ish years. Um, and, and I realized kind of like to what you said, I never actually, again, I was 14. So I, I give my, I give 14 year old Josh a lot of grace here. Um, I never did take the time to kind of like um, pause and and see what was going on around me and mourn and and like mourn what's no longer there, right? Um, celebrate the time that I did have, hold those things in tension, and then find a new path forward. I didn't know how to do that when I was fourteen. I would argue that I don't think most people when they're 14, even (laughs) as they get older, have no idea how to do that. Right. But like, at least for me, um, I was in survival mode. I was just doing what I, what I could to survive. There's, I, I don't remember who said it. Um, it, it might've been, um, Richard Rohr. Um, but, um, I think it was Richard Rohr, I think who, who, who talks about like, um, the things that, keep us alive at night will kill us in the morning. The things that we do at night to survive will kill us in the morning. And it might not have been if he might have stole that from someone else. I have no idea, but I, I thought I heard it from him. And and the truth is like I I learned how to survive through all of that trauma. But learning how to survive and learning how to live aren't the same thing. Is the truth of the matter. And so the last five years and especially the last six months have been a journey in how do I like, like I mentioned earlier, how do I celebrate was what was there, right? How do I, how do I like mourn um, what I lost? And then there's been this third element of like, and how do I look inside of me and like tell Josh the child, Josh the 14 year old, Josh the 16 year old that like, I'm proud of you 
for doing the best you could with what you had because you didn't have a whole lot but you did the best you could with what you had and you got us to here yeah and now it's my turn right like you weren't stupid you weren't a failure you didn't mess up you did the best you could with what you had and now we're here and it's my turn to like do the best i can with what i have and to like honor what you did and and grow and become a healthier version of myself and those are probably some of the hardest words i bet that you have had to say to yourself because i've had to say those words to myself and i could tell you how difficult it is to actually express gratitude for myself i have no problem doing it for anyone else i can write the ms thank you cards and if that was my job in fact i could make that my job and and do that (laughs) for the rest of my life but actually taking a step back and saying it to myself it's been one of the hardest things i oh like i think that's all all mistakes you know and saying like hey totally so what that i messed up yeah i'm still here yeah yeah and and i think like um it's funny part of uh part of or not really funny it's interesting part of trauma <laughs> work is um is when you're writing down these like core beliefs something like people don't have room for my needs mm-hmm. part of trauma work is or at least the trauma work that i did in within like cognitive therapy um, part of that work is taking that sentence and finding a more honest version of that mm. statement. Um, so like for me, it was a lot of, I'm going to write down these statements and then I'm going to figure out like, what's a more honest like version of that. It's not, it's not that people like it, a message that I received as like a child growing up, right? Like I love my parents and my family. It's my mom, my dad, my, my sister, and myself that's it. My sister was born six years older than me, has a lot of health issues and just required a lot of attention from Mm -hmm. before the time that I was born. So I didn't get a lot of attention from my parents growing up because they have a limited amount of like energy and resource and time. Mm -hmm. And, and my sister required such a high degree of care that like, I wasn't able to probably get my needs met. So I started telling myself that like my needs, like other people don't have room for my needs. And that was formed out of like my sister required a high degree of care. Well, is it true that other people didn't have room for my needs? Or is it more true that my sister required a high degree of care, therefore my parents weren't able to give me as much time and I didn't do as good of a job as I could have at vocalizing my needs. Yeah. That's like a more full picture of what was actually happening than just other people don't have room for my needs. And and the reason it's important to start with like that statement of like other people don't have room for my needs is because that's what I feel. It's very hard to change what we feel. Very hard to change what we feel. It's a lot easier to change what we think. Oh, yes. And so we have to change what we think to to help start to change what we feel. Yeah. I'm finding that even going back to the whole concept of expectations, how many of those expectations are based on solely a story I've created yeah. for myself, not based on real facts? Totally. Here I am sitting there and dwelling over my friend not returning my call. I'm expecting him or her to give me a call back, and I'm creating this full-blown narrative. Totally. I'm not enough. I'm not a priority. I'm not this and that, that. Only to find out this, is, this has been proven true through experience hours later that A, he or she forgot. 
he or she truly had an emergency in their life. And yep. then the revert, the role is flipped. And so I'm sitting yep. here in my end thinking bad that, damn, I wish I was there for yeah. this person instead of the other thing. So I, it's, it's fascinating. It's like a double-edged sword when yeah, it comes yes. to a lot of these expectations. It's, it's a story that I create and it's a story that actually unfolds in front of my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's so true. And and I think it's even I think it I think it's even funny that you even mentioned it the way that or you 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 framed it the way that you did because immediately when you heard that like your friend was maybe busy or preoccupied or something was going on in in, in their lives, it was really easy for you to even like flip a switch and go to like, yeah. well, dang it, I should have been there for that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, but you didn't know. <laughs> and so how yeah. can you in those moments, even in those small little moments, just catch yourself and, and give yourself the grace to say, hey, 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 no, no, no. I didn't know that something was going on, right? Yeah. Now I have that awareness and I can see how I can be there. But like, I'm, a, I'm still a good friend. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I'm not the problem. But it's interesting how it's very easy for us when we find out that like, like maybe the why behind something happened Yes, it's easy for us to then be really hard on ourselves and blame ourselves and be like, but, but like, why, why are you being hard on yourself? Why, why is that your fault? Right. So that's where I, I, again, I kind of always go back to like, um, expectations versus expected see a little bit. Right. Um, mm -hmm. of like, maybe my friend's going to respond and, and maybe they're not right. And if, if they don't, it doesn't mean that like, I'm a terrible human. It doesn't mean that they're mad at me there could be a myriad of things that are going on, right? For, for everything that could be going wrong, there's like an opposite thing that could be going right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's easy to default to the negative. I'm finding that as part of all of this, I was thinking about the whole concept of overcoming the odds, so to speak. I actually had a conversation like this with a friend of mine before you and I were able to record. And one thing that he helped me understand that I didn't understand until this point is how much curiosity has played a role in my own ability to face a lot of these obstacles. Mm -hmm. I never looked at it through that lens before until yeah. this conversation half an hour ago where he said one of the reasons why he's able to connect with me and he's heard the same thing from many other people who he's spoken with is that they always refer to me as a curious being. Yeah. And I started to think about, well, how was I able to face a lot of these obstacles and continue to, and it's curiosity. It's yeah. exactly what you just described. It's giving myself the opportunity to think that, well, why can't it be this? Yeah. Can it be any other thing? Can it be any other way? And yeah. I'm finding that that alone has helped me see a whole other world totally. of possibilities rather than what's in front of my eyes or what appears <laughs> to be in front of my eyes. Yeah. Oh, like, I think that's so good, right? Like, when you feel something like stopping and asking, your, asking yourself, like, hey, that's, that's interesting. Why, why is that the thing that I felt? Exactly. <laughs> why exactly. is that the thing? And then kind of like giving your space and like giving yourself permission to unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. I realized it's, it's just such a mind-blowing realization, and, and yet it's always been there. But I think I'm also realizing that it, it as part of, all this work and, and what you mentioned as far as blaming oneself before giving oneself the opportunity to be grateful for the things that they've or that the things that have already happened. 
in my opinion, I think a lot of that has to do with the tendency to think that things can always be better. Yeah. Things can always be improved upon when really sometimes I don't know what yeah. your experience has been like, but my experience has taught me is that sometimes things truly are as good as they are. Yeah. They don't have to be better. There is an opportunity for that perfect moment. Yeah. You know, or that moment, it just happens. I, I don't know if you've experienced this. I'm assuming you have where whatever you're doing. And I just think to myself, damn, this is literally nothing could yeah. be better than what I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. It's, Like those moments have to exist. I feel like in order for the other moments to exist, right? Yep. I I think I don't I can't like point to when this happened. I and I could be wrong. I I I tend to find that there's a lot of people that I that I talk to that conflate um like um contentment with complacency. Mm. Um and they're I don't think they're the same. I don't think they're the same thing, right? What's the I, difference? How do you understand the two? Yeah, so I would say like complacent, at least to me, is maybe like there is a ton of room to grow uh-huh. and maybe you're like, you're like slacking off. To me, I'm content with where I am. I'm super happy with where I am. I'm not like, there is room to grow, but like, if I don't, if I just live in an apartment, <laughs> For the rest of my life, <clears throat> excuse me, if I live in an apartment for the rest of my life, if it's my my spouse, my dog and I, and all I ever make is what I make now and I'm with the company that I'm with the rest of my life, I'm just fine with that. Yeah. Like um, someone had emailed me the other day and, and said like, do you want to be an entrepreneur? Like, do you want to make, I can teach you how to, and that's that's all great. Some people like really care about that. I, I always like to joke, like, I actually like being a cog in the wheel. I just want to be a cog <laughs> in the right wheel. That's yeah. the important thing to me. Yeah. I want to be moving the right wheel. That to me is is contentment, right? I'm happy with with where I am. Would would a house be nice? Sure. Would more money be nice? Sure. Would it make life more comfortable? Sure. Can I be happy with where I am? Absolutely. If I never make more than what I make right now, I can be very happy with where I am and the life that I have and the things that I've overcome and and the people that have overcome them with me. I I'm I'm quite happy, in fact. And that to me is like that to me is contentment. Mm-hmm. I'm finding that I there was a video I watched. This was many many years ago. <clears throat> It was Gary Vaynerchuk, and he was talking about the whole concept of saving money and how essentially the moral of the story was that you won't know how to save money until you don't have any money and you're having to save whatever that money is. Yeah. And what I realized in that moment was going back to your point that you just made, and that's for me in my own life, it truly became more difficult to appreciate things when I started to receive them in abundance. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't appreciate them when I didn't have them in abundance. Mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate the relationships or the money or a lot of these things. Yeah. And so the more of them I begin to receive, the more I started to look at them as, oh, this is just any other thing. When the reality of the matter is like, no, every person is different. Every person brings a different thing to the table. Every amount of money is different, right? 
five mm-hmm. bucks is drastically different from a hundred. A hundred is drastically different from a thousand. The yeah. things you could do with each one of those is drastically different compared to the previous one. And so I, it got me really curious as far as gratitude. Yeah. Where do people, where does one even develop that concept? Where does that mindset of gratitude come? Does it have to come from a form of loss? Hmm. Yeah, it's, here's what I'd say. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if it has to, I, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think loss might deepen it. Right. My, mm. my, my spouse hasn't really experienced like death before um, in terms of like, having anyone she's been close to um like pass away and just no longer be here um so i don't i don't i don't know that it it has to come from loss i i i think loss can deepen it for Uh sure um but that is that is a good question um because i i think that there can be like an artificial kind of gratitude that 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 people have right like um something that I used to be really good at was uh, some people would say like, I have like a pocket full of like silver lining. It's really easy for me to silver lining and find like the good in any situation. And sometimes like that can be really helpful, but not, not at cost to also just recognizing what, what's hard and what's not Mm. good. Um, Here's what I would say. And I, I I don't, I don't know if this is going to answer any kind of question. It's just something that I've I've been kind of (laughs) marinating on recently. We, we tend to, we tend to, frame emotions and, and, and put them into one of two categories. You say these are good emotions and these are bad emotions. And the truth is there's not, I don't think good or bad emotions. We've been taught to believe that maybe there are, or we've come to believe that, that maybe there mm-hmm. are. What, what is true is that all of the emotions are just helpful pieces of information to help us understand what's going on beneath the surface, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you feel angry, what, going back to curiosity, why am I feeling angry? Mm. If I feel resentful, why am I feeling resentful? If I'm unhappy, what, what is it that I'm, what is it that's causing me to feel unhappy? Like giving yourself that space to kind of sit in it without trying to like artificially create happiness or artificially, like, here's the silver lining of all the things that's going on. Right. Like my, my friend dies and it was, it was like really, really easy for me to just go to like but man look at the time that we had together versus like I feel abandoned you can you can have both of those things you can feel both of those things and you can hold them in tension right like and in fact if 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 you kind of said it earlier like sometimes we we have expectations for ourselves that we would never have on someone else like if you knew someone whose best friend passed away and some days were really good and some days were really were really hard and maybe they were upset you wouldn't be like oh my gosh you shouldn't be upset about this you'd be like of course you should yeah of course you should but then like if we start to feel maybe negative emotions we kind of work to try to maybe push those down Mm -hmm. and then only look at the good things when in reality we have to do better at like holding those things in tension with each other um I don't really have anywhere to land that, but, but I think like, <laughs> but I think happiness in, in all reality is being able and like, and, and, and gratitude is being able to see the good and the bad and learning how to hold them in tension with each other. I think also part of that is being able to willing to create the space yeah, for those things, because you're right. I, I, I agree with you and 
I agree in terms of I'm still learning the fact that there's really no good or bad emotions. It's just emotions. And yeah, it's funny that you even mentioned the whole concept of information. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine who I had a conversation with earlier, he had said that he processes fear just as information. Mm -hmm. Information that gives him additional insights or perspectives to look into other things. And I just thought yeah. it was so mind-blowing because a lot of the other conversations I've had don't go that route they don't yeah. look at things as all things relative yeah that we choose to give meaning to right yeah. like a car wreck happens why does that have to be the worst thing in the world mm -hmm. now i'm sure it certain car wrecks lead to x y and z does every car wreck lead to death no yeah some car crashes lead to people's greatest purpose right yeah. hardship challenges like that. So I just find that really interesting, like how a lot of it truly is just a matter of perspective and yeah. how you choose to look at the circumstances in front of you. Yeah. I, it's, it's an interesting, um, that's just an interesting thought to me. I, I think of like, um, there's, um, he wrote a book. He was a, he was a Holocaust survivor. Um, his name was Victor Frankel. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase, um, but, but what he more or less says in one of his books is, um, uh, like a man can have everything taken away from him except for one thing. And that's his like freedom to choose how to respond to what's man happened search to him. for meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one I think of the that best books such... I've ever read in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I love, I just love that point that it's like, you can have everything taken away from me, taken away from you. Like, like Victor had. Right. And yet there's still a choice that you have in all of this, right? And yeah. he didn't like artificially create happiness. Like he didn't just silver line himself to death, right? He didn't just try to like, he didn't try to like go around the sadness. Like he took everything and he allowed himself to just feel every iota of emotion and then came out on the other, other end of this, the person that he was, right? To your point, like, yeah, there's not, there's not good or bad emotions. When we, when we serve it up like that, when we feel bad emotions, we're like, oh, these are negative emotions. And these yeah. aren't the ones that we're supposed we to get feel. away from them. <laughs> but the, yeah, but the reality is like, you can't, Brene Brown talks about this and I think it's brilliant. Um, like we can't selectively numb emotions. You can't have happiness without sadness. It doesn't exist. <laughs> you have to have both. It's true. If, if you selectively, if you try to selectively numb, because you, 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 you can't, but if you try to selectively numb one, it's all, it's the way that it works. So you have to embrace like all of it. And part of embracing all of your emotions is understanding it to me is fundamentally understanding that there's not good or bad, positive and negative They're Like I said earlier, they're all helpful pieces of information to help us see what's going on beneath the surface. Yeah, that book was one of the books that actually helped me realize this as well. Man Search for Meaning. I remember reading it and picking up the phone and calling one of my friends immediately afterwards. Yeah, I was mind blown by the fact how, in his case, he was able to find humor and joy yeah. during what would, to me, appear to be the most despair-like mm -hmm. circumstances. I mean, literally, you're in a camp possibility of you getting out of that camp i don't even know the odds very yeah. very slim if none 
and yet he still chose to somehow find opportunities to laugh, to joke, to have some sort of meaning, even though yeah. everything in front of him kept probably telling him that this is it. This yeah. is the end of your road. It's uh, yeah. it's fascinating. Like that that book alone is for me, it was one of the life-changing books. Like it really yeah. shifted my perspective yeah. around hardship, adversity, any form of challenge. And it just showed me, I think it, if anything, it allowed me to understand that no matter how difficult something is, there could always be an alternative to that. Yeah. It could yeah. always be a different option. So it's, uh, it's amazing, but out for out of respect for both of our time and anyone that's going to be listening to this, how can people connect with you? What do you have going on in your life that people can be a part of? Man, um, so I, it's funny. Um, uh, I'm 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 pretty active on LinkedIn of of all places. Um, I can I, tell. I do, yeah, yeah, I do. If, but if you're if you're if you're looking if you're looking to to connect with me on 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 LinkedIn for a lot of businessy type stuff, that's just that's not who I am. Um, it's funny. There were there were plenty of comments on 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 the post that that went a little bit viral that that said like, this is a this isn't Facebook. This is a <laughs> a professional business site and that's fine i i understand that some people use it use it for that i i think uh for a long time we've set up these really harsh and very restrictive barriers between this is who i am professionally and and this is who i am as a person in reality i think yeah in in reality i think the least interesting thing most of the time about someone is the thing that they do is their job title um we're whole people, right? And mm -hmm. and our hobbies and our interests and our works, like like what we do, like they all give us a glimpse of the whole person. And yeah. so um, I am on I am on LinkedIn. I'm just not going to be like uh, you mentioned him earlier. I'll probably never be the Gary V kind of guy. Um, I'm I'm just going to talk about you know what I'm what I'm feeling, what I'm what I'm seeing. Um, I'm just there to be um, supportive to people who are in. Um, you know, gosh, LinkedIn's just an incredible network of, of people who are who are out there killing it, and then a lot of people who are who are desperate and looking for yes. answers. And and I, I, I like to come alongside people who are the desperate looking for answers people, um, not to be their hero, not to be anyone's savior, um, but to just help them realize that they are so much stronger and more capable than they realize. Um, I'm a terrible hero, but I think I'm an okay guide. And I, I, I love, I love trying to help guide people as best as I can. And, and just, if they invite me in being on their journey, um, to help them get to where they would ultimately like to go. So I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, um, just be linkedin.com slash Joshua K, uh, like Kilo Eden, E-D-E-N. I'm on Instagram. I don't post anything like super frequently, um, but you're more than welcome to, to follow me there. It's Josh dot the dot Eden, uh, my last name. Um, and oh, like, thank you um, for, for having me on. It was it was really great to to connect with you and get to know you a little bit here. Thank you. No, thank you for for being a part of this. And I agree with you in regard to the post and everything. Look, people are always going to have their own perspective, just like we have our own perspective, right? Some things it's quote unquote professional and professional, but I've always questioned like who gets to decide that? Yeah. Who gets to decide one is this and the other one's not. I think if anything, in my opinion, 
I don't think there is a work life line. I think yeah. it's just life. It's you yeah. do life and you just happen it's to It's all do part life of who we are. Yeah. Multiple layers. Yeah. Like here is the face where totally. you are showing up at this job. Here's the face where you're going to the bathroom. Here's the face where you're doing these things. Yeah. So there's yeah. really I think if anything is that when there is that focus on the line, that's when people are forcing themselves to become something that they're not. Okay, yeah. I have to act this way. I have to do this. I can't say this. I can't wear that. Yeah. When the reality is like, why not? Yeah. If that's who you really are. And this is yeah. what allows you to be the best you. Why do I care? Totally. Just because it doesn't meet my expectations. Yeah. So what? Those are my expectations. That's my journey to go on, not yours. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I, yeah, I applaud you for who you are and having the courage to even start this conversation. And I mean, without that post, we would not be here. Yeah. And I'm glad we could meet. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.